Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Welcome back to our study in 1 Thessalonians. We are glad that you are joining us today for this. We have been looking at what life is like when you are waiting on King Jesus. And Paul has been celebrating the Thessalonians because he not only has seen their faith, love, and hope, but he's actually beginning to hear about it from everyone else in the entire world, he says. And Paul specifically says that part of how faith is is shaped is through the gospel. And he gives us some really concrete ways to begin to see that. The first is this, faith is effective. There will be life change. He says faith is obvious. People will begin to see it. He says faith is is bold. It will lead you into uncomfortable places where you can begin to walk proudly. And lastly, he says faith is binding. You will not be alone on the journey. And today, we're going to finish up chapter 2 and begin unpacking chapter 3 and what Paul begins to say waiting in love looks like. So let's look and read. It says this in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And so we begin to see how Paul begins to describe what love is doing. Love produces longing. Again, we are reminded of what happened in Acts 17, right? Paul is in Thessalonica. He's going into the synagogues. He's reasoning with the Jews and the Greeks. And there's this small sect, the small part, the small group of Jews who are hostile to Paul's message. And they form a mob and they try to run him out of the city and they succeed. He ends up going to Berea. And this is part of what Paul is describing here. He's been torn away. This is not something he decided he wanted to do. This is not an active verb. It's a passive one. It's something that has been done to him. He's been ripped apart. And what's interesting is that this Greek word actually has the connotations of someone being made into an orphan. You see, Paul here is saying that he has been ripped from his family unwillingly, but he says only in person, not in heart. Because although Paul has been ripped away, he now has an even stronger desire to want to see them face to face. Love produces longing. This is Paul's point here. And I remember a time when my wife and I were dating, and she was going to be going on a couple month, uh, three or four month missionary, medical missions trip to Africa. And I was like, man, that's a long time. You know, it's a long time. And it didn't take long for my heart to, to, to have a longing for her to be back. And But I did think, I, you know, I had preemptively got ready because what I did was I wrote letter a letter for her for every week that she was going to be there because I knew that if she got there and she met some other guy, that she, we were going to be apart just long enough that she might end up choosing him. So I preemptively worked to give her these letters, and it worked, right? But we longed for each other. We longed to be back to one another. And when she finally came back, that moment had so much joy. It had so much, uh, so, so much excitement within it to be able to see that person that you have invested in, that you sent these letters to, that they were able to truly read them, and now you were able to actually enjoy one another in the presence of one another. And this is Paul's same feeling that he's beginning to experience, except for he's been ripped away from these people. And he's writing this letter to them in hopes that they would not forget him, in hopes that they wouldn't be, be moved away from the Christian faith because of the social pressures that begin to exist. 
He's, it's, it's fascinating here that Paul begins to describe Satan and the fact that he was hindering Paul from being able to come. And it's a helpful reminder to us that we aren't just fighting against our own weakness, but the very aggression of Satan. This is an active person who is hostile to the message of the gospel and is trying to hinder it. What's interesting is I've also got a friend who uh, had not worn glasses his whole life and was in the car with one of his buddies. And his buddy was able to read this sign off in the distance and he was just blown away. He thought he had superhuman powers. He's like, how can you possibly be able to read that? And his friend was like, dude, I think you need glasses. Like everyone can read that. And he's like, really? And so he ends up going to the, to the eye doctor and sure enough, he needs glasses. And so he gets them and for the first time in 20 years, he could see. And he just never knew. He just thought everybody's vision was the exact same as his. He he only experienced what he could experience. But when he got those glasses, he was able to see clearly for the first time. And I remember just him explaining to me when he he saw a tree for the first time, the detail, the definition. He He didn't know you could see each leaf individually from so far. And Paul is reminding us here to put on our our glasses because when we become a Christian, we start to see the world a a little bit differently. And we are reminded that there is a battle that we are a part of, an active battle. And there is a person that is working at all costs to hinder the very thing that we are fighting and living within. And so I, what Paul really begins to show us and, and to, to move us to is an encouragement that regardless of what Satan tries to accomplish, he's been hearing of their faith, he's been hearing of their joy, and he's been hearing of their hope. And so this becomes a treasured moment in Paul's, in Paul's work for the kingdom because he's seen all that they're becoming and he's seeing that they, that they are being able to withstand the pressures around them that, that Satan and culture may try to enact. And he goes on in chapter three, verse one, he says this, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. What's Paul's point? Love doesn't just produce longing. It produces sacrifice. And we're reminded that that sacrifice had to, it moved Paul out, it ripped him away from Thessalonica into Athens, into Corinth, into the Macedonian region that he would begin to build new churches in. But sending letters to the Thessalonians simply did not, it, it, it wasn't enough for Paul anymore. He had to send more than a letter. He sent Timothy, Timothy who helped plant this church, Timothy who, who knew these people, who had a relationship with them because Paul was worried that the Jews, that their families, that the social and cultural constructs were, were starting to provide a pressure on them. And he was worried how their faith would hold up in the midst of persecution and affliction. You see, when trouble comes, There's a temptation to give up on good things. It's easier to deny belief to fit in with the crowd. We often turn to this momentary relief when good things get hard. And it's even harder to have love and hope when bad things get worse. And you know what Paul doesn't say though? He doesn't say, I sent Timothy to you so that you wouldn't endure anything bad. He doesn't say he sent Timothy so that we could be free from all of the issues. 
No, Paul says, I sent Timothy to you to encourage you to endure the persecution because Christianity doesn't promise a life free from suffering. It promises a life within it. Paul says in verse three that, in fact, they were destined to undergo these trials. Paul says he tried to tell them about this. Paul himself, he suffered. He knows what it's like to experience rejection and physical brutality and injustice. So Paul says, I couldn't wait anymore. It pained him to think that the Thessalonians were experiencing the same types of of persecution with no one to be with them, with no leadership, and that it might allow Satan to lead them away from the truth. But Paul says, you knew you were going to suffer. You knew you were, just like I did, because when you come to love Jesus, it's going to produce sacrifice. It's going to take all of you. It's going to ask you not to give up good things in hard times. And when you are able to withstand affliction, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Paul says, love produces more than sacrifice. It produces joy. Listen to this in verse six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, love produces joy. And Paul says, when we heard of your faith, when we heard of all that you were becoming, of your love and your hope, it made us stand through the toughest moments. All of the stress, the hurt, the questions became an afterthought. He says, now that we know you are alive, we are too. It reminds me of when my son was first born and you know everyone tells you that it's gonna just be this amazing experience, but I didn't wanna get my expectations too high. You know you know what I mean? Like I didn't, wanna, I didn't want him to be born and just be like, ah, yeah, that's fine, you know? But, but when he was finally born, when he finally came, and you see him for the first time, your expectations can't be high enough. When you see that child for the first time, it completely blows you away. Why? Because love typically takes a really long time to share and to build. It's, it's this, it's, it happens over this big span of, of growing and learning, of give and take, of trial and hardship, but also joys and celebrations. But in this one moment, all of that is condensed into a momentary thing. When this child comes and you see them for the first time, and this, all, this entire love process is simply there. And moms, you, you guys probably, most of you understand this better than I do, that in that moment, when a child comes, there's no more hurt, there's no more fear. It's simply love, a love that produces a joy that no matter what circumstances may bring, You can have everything you need in that moment. And Paul is saying the church was born and he had to immediately leave, but he hasn't stopped praying that God would produce in them greater faith, greater love, greater hope. Love produces joy, but a love for Christ doesn't just produce joy, it produces holiness. He says this in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 
You see, love produces holiness. This is his prayer right here. He's, he's writing to the Thessalonians about how he is praying for them, and then he just can't help it. He breaks out into prayer, and it consists of two things. Paul says, God, help us get to them. Help us get to them. But in the meantime, keep growing in holiness through love so that when Jesus returns, that great king who we await, he will simply strengthen what the Holy Spirit is already accomplishing. This is Paul's transition into how he will begin to explain holiness in light of love. So join us next week as we unpack chapter four and look further at what holiness in love produces. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.